It's okay. It's all right. Take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. It's good to see you here this morning. got my notes in a little different format this morning, so bear with me as I try to get, I'm sure this would get me docked in seminary preaching class, but one time will be okay. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, as you are turning, if you're not there already, in Matthew chapter 13, we're continuing our study through the gospel of Matthew. And this morning, we want to ask the question, why in parables? Why did Jesus teach in parables? I think one of the, if I could narrow down any piece of information on communication, what, what is something that can make communication instantly better? It would be this, is be clear, be concise. If you can state what you want to say clearly and succinctly, you know the subject matter, you're able to state what it is you're trying to say quickly, shortly, clearly, uh, you're well on your way to being a good communicator. We would all generally agree with that, right? Have you ever gotten that voicemail or that text message or an email where somebody is just kind of beating around the bush and you get to the end of it and you go, I don't know what they actually want. What are they trying to say? We all recognize good communication when we hear it. We also recognize bad communication when we hear it. Don't say amen. <laughs> all right. You remember I brought down lightning the other day, right? You remember that? Okay. So why then would Jesus use a parable that is open to being misunderstood, that's open to not being understood at all? If Jesus is coming to preach the gospel of the kingdom and he wants people to hear and to turn from their sins and follow him, then why in the world would he preach and teach in parables? Well, that's the exact question we want to ask and answer this morning. And I think the best way for us to begin is by recognizing something that the scriptures teach throughout from the very beginning even to the very end. And it's this simple fact. All throughout scripture, God has a people that he has chosen for himself. And then there are others that he has not chosen. You go all the way back to Cain and Abel. What happens with Cain and Abel? God shows Abel's sacrifice. He was pleased with it and not with Cain's. Fast forward a little bit to Abraham. God shows Abraham out of the whole world. And he set his pleasure and, and he called out Abraham, not everybody else at the same time. Fast forward a little bit to Jacob and Esau. You find out that God chooses Jacob and not Esau. God chooses Israel and not the Gentiles. God chooses Joseph and Mary and not somebody else. So you go through the Old Testament and God is choosing his people that he is blessing, that he's calling to himself. And then you get to the end of all time. If you go to Matthew 25, Jesus talks about this. There will come a day when the angels will go out. And God tells the angels, separate the sheep from the goats. And the sheep are welcomed in to the blessedness and the eternal life and the, and the, the pleasures of, of eternal 
uh, eternally being with their shepherd. And the goats are cast out because they are not his sheep. So all throughout scripture, we have a very, very consistent pattern that God chooses his people. That God sets his grace and his affection, his love and his blessings on some. And then he leaves others without. Now, once we understand that, we begin to see exactly what Jesus is doing in this parable. Because a lot of times, what, what he's doing with parables. What I want to submit to you this morning is that Jesus is doing two things with the exact same parables. He has the parables that he teaches, but he's doing something for two distinct different groups. And so he's accomplishing two distinct different purposes with each parable. Are you with me so far? So Jesus can teach one parable and it means and does something for one group. But that exact same parable does not have to be changed and it does and means something for the other group, right? And what are those two groups? Well, there are those that are his and there are those that are not. Now, when we get to Matthew 13, verses 10 through 17, I want us to look at these two groups what characterizes them, okay? And then what Jesus does with the parables to and for each group. So maybe this will help you this morning. If you have room, maybe it would help you to make a little chart here. You could put group one on one side and group two on the other. And we're going to talk about the different characteristics of each group and then what Jesus is accomplishing among each group, all right? So with each group, there are six characteristics, I would say, that characterize each group. And we're going to look at what those are. Okay. So Matthew chapter 13, verse 10. Jesus has just taught the parable of the soils. And then the disciples come up and ask him, why are you speaking to them in parables? They're not really uh, sure that... We don't want to read too much into it that they're criticizing Jesus' teaching method. But, but like we said, if you're trying to make the message known, why does it seem like you're teaching it in a way that kind of makes it less discernible? Jesus answers in verse 11. He says, look at this, because. So why is Jesus teaching in parables? Here's the reason he gives us. Because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know. But it has not been given to them. So who's the you? Well, that's the disciples that are asking the question. Who's them? The crowds, right? So there's you and them. The secrets have been given to you. There's group one. The secrets have not been given to you, group two. So the first characteristic has to do with the secrets of the kingdom. In group one, they are given. In group two, they are not. Okay, now notice what does Jesus mean by that? I want to point out two things regarding this. Okay, why does Jesus preach in parables? Because the secrets of heaven are being given to know through the parables. This is how Jesus is conveying the information about the secrets of the kingdom. Now, what does the secrets of the kingdom refer to? Well, first of all, the word secrets is the Greek word mysterion. It refers to, uh, you hear our, our English word mystery, right? And the reason that Jesus uses this word is, first of all, it's not a knowledge that you can attain yourself. 
So when we talk about mystery, this isn't like how it's used like as it used to be in science. Like we don't understand how black holes work. Those are still a mystery. We may figure it out one day and it won't be a mystery anymore. That's not what, what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying this is something that you would never figure out, attain, or understand on your own. You cannot reason your way to it. You cannot figure it out mathematically. And that's why he uses the language he does. Look at what he says. To you, the, king, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given. Have been given. It's a passive verb, which means somebody's doing the action. Who is doing the given? Given by whom? Well, the answer is God. So Jesus is saying there are secrets of the kingdom that you can only know if God tells you. You can't get there any other way. And he's giving these secrets. Okay, so what are the secrets of the kingdom? Well, this really is an allusion to Matthew, not Matthew, Daniel chapter 2. You don't have to turn there. But Daniel chapter 2 is all about Nebuchadnezzar having a dream in which Daniel interprets. And Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, the Lord has revealed to you what will happen in the last days. And he has the vision of the, the statues, remember? And in Daniel chapter 2, really, he's breaking it down and he says that there's going to be a fourth kingdom, right? And there will be this kingdom. And it says, in those days, verse 44, 244, the God of the heavens will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And this kingdom will not be left to another people. It will crush all the kingdoms. It will bring them to an end, but will itself endure forever. So that's the kingdom that's being alluded to or referenced by Jesus. But all before that, if you go read, there are multiple places where Daniel talks about the mystery. The mystery. If you look in chapter 2, verse 19, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it to you. It says, the mystery was then revealed to Daniel in a vision. You go a little bit down a ways, and it says, No wise man or any other person can make this known. But verse 28, but there is a God in heaven who reveals what? Mysteries. And he has let King Nebuchadnezzar know what will happen in the last days. So when Jesus talks about the secrets of the kingdom, he's not talking about some knowledge, uh, you know, mystical knowledge. But what Jesus is talking is, the kingdom of God that was prophesied in Daniel is coming in Jesus Christ. This last day's kingdom, this end times kingdom has broken into creation, has come to earth in Jesus Christ. That's the secret Jesus wants his disciples to know. It's not coming later. It's here now. It is beginning now in me. So, the secrets of the kingdom are given to some to know. In this Jesus fellow, that kingdom that was prophesied in Daniel has begun to be established. That's the secret that Jesus is talking about. But they only understand that if it is revealed to them. If that knowledge is given to them. So we have group one. The secrets of the kingdom are given to them. But then we have the secrets that are not given to group two. Well, let's continue. Notice what Jesus says. You might say, now how can, how can Jesus say that? That he gives in parables. He teaches in parables because 
Some have been given the knowledge and some haven't. Well, look at what Jesus says. For, verse 12, here's the reason. Whoever has, more will be given to him. And he will have more than enough. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Now, what in the world does Jesus mean there? Well, if we, if we want the answer, all we have to simply ask is... Uh, what is Jesus talking about when they have? And I think what he's saying is those who, those who hear the parables and hear the teaching of the kingdom and receive it and believe it, they now have that fundamental truth. And you see the distinction because what happens after Jesus preaches the parable in, verse, in chapter 13? He preaches the parable, but then notice in verse 10 it says, Then the disciples come up. You notice none of the crowds came up, Right? So the disciples have heard the secrets of the kingdom and they've responded by what? They come up, they follow Jesus. So that little difference between group one and group two, they began, they had already begun, but they were following Jesus. So that little bit, receiving that secret of the kingdom and then acting on it, believing in it, obeying it. Now they have that little bit. And because of that, Jesus says more and more will be given. Now contrast that. So, so group one has more added, right? They have more added. Well, what does group two have? They have it taken away. So they've heard the same parable. They've received the same truth. And yet they've walked away from Jesus. So even though Jesus gave the one same parable to both groups, one group receives it and believes it. And more will be added to them. The other group hears it, but does not receive it. So even the truth that they've been given in the parable will be taken away from them. So Jesus says, this is why I teach in parables. Because I'm accomplishing something with group one and group two. Now, as we continue, Jesus has focused really on group one, right? They are given the secrets of the knowledge. In verse 13, he shifts a little bit and kind of emphasizes group two, but we still learn something about both groups. So he essentially is saying the same thing, but in different words. Look at verse 13. That is why I speak to them. Notice, not you. That is why I speak to them in parables. So he's giving another reason, but from a, really the same reason, but from a different angle. So group one has the secrets of the kingdom given to them. They have more added to them. Group two, the secrets are not given. What they have is taken away. Now the third characteristic has to do with do they see? Do they see? Do they understand? Because look at what Jesus says. That is why I speak to them in parables. Why? Because looking they do not see and hearing they do not listen or understand. So group one hears and understands. Group two hears but does not understand. Do you see the difference that Jesus is laying out here? Notice you can look but not see. You can hear the parable but not get it. He says they don't hear and they do not listen. And that's why Jesus says in verse 14 that Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them. What prophecy? Well, this comes out of Isaiah 6, and it comes from Isaiah's calling to go preach to 
the people and he says, you will go and preach and what will be the result? The people will listen and listen, but never understand. Verse 14, they will look, but never perceive. So why? Why is it that they could hear a parable, the same parable the disciples heard, and not respond? Well, what does verse 15 say? Well, they'll, they'll hear, they'll see, but they won't understand why. For the people's heart has grown callous. Now notice, it starts with the heart. Their ears are hard of hearing. When was the last time you cleaned out your ears? Don't answer, please. You know, sometimes you clean out your ear and all of a sudden it's like, boop. You hear better. But he says their, their ears are hard of hearing or they're literally, they're difficult. Now, all of those you might say, well, how can we blame them, right? That, that doesn't sound like that's something that's really their fault. But then look at the very last thing he says. They have shut their eyes. Not that their eyes were shut by someone else. You see, that is the nature of sin, In every single human being that we see the truth, Romans 1, we know the truth. And yet because of sin in our heart, we shut our eyes. We do not want the truth. So they are hard-hearted, hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. So, group one, the third characteristic, if we're going to kind of open this out group uh, sorry group three they have shut their eyes okay that's the third characteristic they have shut their eyes the third characteristic for group one is they have had their eyes open so what i what i want you to see is that it's not that group one opened their own eyes their eyes were shut too they were just like the crowd They had shut their own eyes, but their eyes have been opened. But group two has shut their own eyes. Therefore, they do not see, they do not hear, they do not understand. But it gets even worse that you might say, well, that seems like, okay, we're sinners. We close our eyes. But it's even more than that because look at what Jesus says. It's not just that they do that, but why do they do that? Verse 15 Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn back and I would heal them. This is the nature of, this, of sin in the hard, callous sinner's heart. There is the truth. There is the offer of the gospel. But they shut their eyes. Why? Because they want to. We've got to. We need to disabuse ourselves of the notion that, that sinners want to come to Christ... But, but their eyes are closed and they, they, they just don't know what to do. No, Jesus says they close their eyes. Why? Because if they open them, they might turn and be healed. And Jesus' point is, is they don't want to. That's why our, our wills and our hearts are so depraved and far from God that we cannot come to Christ apart from a work of God in us. He says they close their eyes because if they don't, they're afraid they might hear. They're afraid they might actually turn back and I would heal them. Can you imagine that? 
That sin is so deceptive in the heart of group two that they could be healed, but they would rather stay in their infirmity and their sickness and their death. So, group one is in the same place except for, we go back to verse 11, the secrets of the kingdom are given. They are, their eyes are opened. And so we've seen in this text this three characteristics. But look at verse 16. It says he returned Jesus returns back to the you, the disciples. He says, "But blessed are your eyes, why? Because they do see and your ears because they do hear." So what's the fourth characteristic of these groups? Well, the group 1 Number four, they are blessed. They are blessed. Why? Jesus says, because your eyes see and your ears do hear. Friends, that's what we call grace. Their eyes were shut. They were blind, Paul says, to the light of the glory of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. They were blind to the glory, but Jesus says, your eyes see. What does, what does Peter say when Jesus asks him, who do you say that I am? Jesus says, you are the son of God. You are the Messiah, right? And what does Jesus say to him? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Why? For my father has revealed this to you. So group one is blessed because of grace. Group two, what's the flip side of blessing? They are cursed. Why are they cursed? Because of their sin. They're cursed because of their sin and their rebellion, which we've talked about. But group one is blessed. Why are they blessed? Why are they blessed? If you're a believer here this morning, why are you blessed? Because Jesus Christ has revealed himself to you. Oh, there are a number of answers to that. But what does the text say? Look at verse 17. Jesus says, For I truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see the things you see but didn't see them, to hear the things you hear but didn't hear them. You see, when you come to know Jesus Christ, you come to know that which the prophets craved to know. You see and you hear that which Isaiah and Jeremiah desperately wanted to see and hear. When you come to know Jesus Christ because he has revealed himself to you and opened your eyes, you are blessed to see that which you would not have seen apart from that work in your heart. And so it's grace. So in the parable, Jesus what is he doing? We said he's accomplishing two different things for two different groups. What is he doing in the same parable? In one parable, with one parable, he's blessing his people with knowledge, with secrets, revealing himself and the truths of the kingdom. And with that same parable, he's cursing those who are not his. And one, look at the fifth, this is the fifth characteristic of group one. It's undeserved. That blessing is undeserved. In group two, that cursing is deserved. You might be sitting here thinking, Jason, this sounds awfully unfair. 
It sounds awfully unfair that God would do this. And I agree. Because God would have been perfectly fair and just in his righteous, holy status. He would have been perfectly fair to send every single sinner to hell. When we hear things like God choosing people, we say that doesn't sound fair, and I agree. Because what we actually deserve is no choosing at all. You see, what Jesus is talking about, this undeserved choosing, this undeserved, unmerited grace, we see God who loves sinners. God who chose them before the foundation of the world. God who opens their eyes to respond and to see and to hear and to know that which they could not know themselves. So what, how, how do you know which group you're in? Am I in group one or am I in group two? Well, very briefly, let's go through the five characteristics of group one and group two, and then I'll give you the sixth one, okay? Number one, group one, the secrets of the kingdom are given. Group two, the secrets are not given. Group one, number two, more is added in group two, what they have is taken away. There's blessing and then there's curse. Number three, in group one, they have their eyes opened. In group two, they shut their eyes. Number four, in group one, they are blessed. In group two, they are cursed. Number five, group one is, num uh, sorry, group one, number five, they get something they don't deserve. Group two, they get what they absolutely deserve. And then number six, what is the difference between these two groups? It's how they have responded to Jesus. That's the difference. Group one responds to Jesus by trusting and following. Group two rejects Jesus and refuses to trust and follow. So you might be here this morning and wondering, which group am I in? If you have trusted Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you believe on him, you trust Christ and Christ alone, you're in group one. That is the promise that the scriptures comfort us with. That our only comfort in life and death is that we are not our own, but belong both body and soul to Jesus Christ. But if you're rejecting Jesus, or you have rejected Jesus, or, or you know someone who has rejected Jesus and refused, you may be assured that they are in group two. That they are still under a curse that they still have to give an account for their sins, that they have not been forgiven, and that they are still under the condemnation that their sins deserve. And so, what do we do with this? 
What do we do with this teaching that Jesus gives us? I want to give you one big application because I want us to keep in context what is happening. Remember last week we talked about the parables or about the parables of the kingdom, right? And we had this theme of sharing the gospel, right? We are to share the gospel. We're to share it freely and liberally and leave the results to God. And we said there, there would be results. Well, what kind of results? Well, what, what we see in Jesus' teaching of the parables is the paradigm for what happens when you share the gospel. Understand this, when you share the gospel, there's either response, there's not either, there is a response. It's either rest and trust or refusal and rejection. Do you see what I'm, what I'm getting at here? That there's a consistency, there's a pattern here with what Jesus is doing with the parables. When you share the gospel with someone, it could be that they are receiving the blessing. The secrets might be given to them to understand the kingdom. And they'll turn to Christ and they'll trust him for salvation. But if that's not happening, if that does not happen, sometimes you share the gospel and it's adding to the curse. What do I mean by that? Their hearts are being hardened. What happened to Pharaoh? Wasn't he repeatedly told, let my people go? And what happened each time? I mean, isn't that, I mean, you think about it, isn't that like an Old Testament gospel proclamation? Let my people go? Satan, sin, death, Christ has died and rose again, let my people go. Pharaoh hears this, this good news, let my people go, and his heart gets harder and harder and harder. And in fact, God uses that. To harden his heart. Knowing Pharaoh's pride. So when we share the gospel. There's going to be a response. You never share the gospel in vain. You never share the gospel. And there is. Nothing. Because what we see. Based on why Jesus uses parables. Is he can take the same message. One same message. And do two things with it. He can bless some and curse others. So which group are you in? Have you trusted Christ? Well, then you're blessed. You're blessed with the secret of the kingdom. You've been shown grace. God has opened your eyes. But maybe you're here this morning and and you haven't responded to Jesus the way you should. Maybe you think that Jesus is... Somebody who doesn't demand that much from you. Maybe just try to be a good person or something like that. No, it's, it's so much worse than that. The, the scriptures tell us that all of us have sinned. We've disobeyed and fallen short of God's righteous requirement. But the good news is that Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life. He died on the cross and took the punishment that we deserved. And that he rose again for our justification that we might be made right with God. And so if you're in group two and you think that describes me, maybe God is working on your heart and you're saying, what I need is to rest and trust in Jesus. Why can that not be today? Why wait? Why live under a curse anymore when you can be free you can know the one true king. Let's pray together.
Lord, we thank you that your word is powerful and never returns void. God, what's true of the parables and what's true of the gospel is also true in the preaching of your word. God, as your word goes out, it accomplishes that for which you send it. Lord, we thank you, God, for the reminder for those of us in Christ that we were chosen. God, that you've revealed yourself to us. We did not deserve that. God, we're so blessed because our eyes see and our ears hear the, the untold riches and glory and grace in Jesus Christ. Father, forgive us when our hearts have been slow to hear and our wills have been slow to obey. But Lord, if there's anyone here or maybe there's someone that we know that you placed on our heart and God that we know we should share with and we, we haven't, God, forgive us of that. And Lord, give us opportunities to share. Lord, thank you for what you've done for us in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.